Hey everyone, once again it's Arlen. I have a special episode here. Uh, this is our commission report and webinar with our accountants, CPAs, uh, Revel, R E V E L, like Victor, CPA, Martin and Gina, which uh, I love their names. <laughs> They did a wonderful presentation about PPP loan forgiveness. They used the first part of the presentation to kind of catch everybody up to PPP and IDLE. And then uh, the bulk of it was talking about forgiveness, which is now the next step of things. Uh, Many of you listening to this may not need to listen to this episode because you either don't have PPP to begin with you aren't able to get it or you didn't ask for it, you live in a different country, et cetera, et cetera, or you do have a CPA and a legal team that are helping you and you don't feel like you're uh, going through this without that sort of support. This is for people who, who may not have a CPA, but they did receive PPP, and they um, you may feel like, I know I'm supposed to now start thinking about the forgiveness, asking for forg- the forgiveness on the loan. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to make payments. Maybe they're supposed to be small, or I'm not really sure. This is a good primer for you. This is a good kind of overall understanding. And then there's a, a portion where Martin even goes through an actual uh, case and helps you through filling things out. This should not take the place of your own CPA, but if you don't have one or you're trying to know a little bit more before you talk to ones that you want to hire, this is for you. And we did this just because, as I say in the video, uh, audio that you're about to hear, that um, this was something that we were just going to share with our portfolio. Portfolio is quite large. A lot of companies in our portfolio did get PPP. We were part of some of that, uh, and for others, we weren't. And this was going to be one more thing that we shared with our with our portfolio as part of their platform. And it just made all the sense in the world to us at Backstage Capital to share this uh, broadly. And where it can be helpful, we're very, very happy that we could do this. Um, this was a paid commission, and so... We definitely hope that it's something that is uh, valuable to you. And even if it helps just a couple of people not pay, overpay or not miss a payment or not, you know, realize something that they didn't know before, that is absolutely worth it to us. If you would um, visit BackstageCapital.com just in general, because it was brought to you by Backstage, just to get to know us more as we go into our fifth anniversary, which we're very excited about. Now, you'll notice in the audio, this is important, that um, especially when Martin's going through the case, there is a lot of information that's thrown at you. If you want to follow along uh, with the, with the uh, deck or with the video, you can go to itsaboutdamntime.com slash resources. It's about damn time which is the name of my book, itsaboutdamntime.com slash resources. And you'll see the latest video link. You'll see uh, a link to the the PDF if you want to look at one or the other. And hopefully that'll be helpful to you. And the PDF is there for you to take a look at uh, whenever you want. And we'll keep that up indefinitely. 
So without any further ado, I will give you right over to the raw audio file of this live webinar Q&A session that we had just a few days ago. Thanks. All right, it's, let me do this, make it easier to hear, I don't scream. Can y'all hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, great. All right. Um, hi, uh, Gina. Hi, Martin. Hello. It's, it's good to see you again. Now we talk every single day, but it's, it's a little different when you can see it. Um, I want to do a couple things. I want to make sure that we have the right thing going. Well, here's what I think we should do because we are going to, we are recording this and I'm going to start it and stop it again because we are recording this. Um, uh, I think we should use the hour. I mean, you know, use the time, get started now, have people coming in uh, throughout and then we'll, we'll put it on demand. Agreed. So uh, I'll say, welcome everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm going to turn my phone off. Uh, thanks for being here. And thank you to Martin and Gina from Revel CPA for uh, putting together this presentation. This presentation is a commission from Backstage Capital. Um, the, uh, Revel CPA is our uh, one half of our accounting team. We have a, you know, a lot going on at Backstage and they're so amazing and so um, attentive and it, you feel like you're the only customer. So they have been helping our portfolio with these large uh, presentations and we just figured it'd be great to make it public and so that we we're not hoarding information because that's never the intention at backstage so this is uh what our portfolio companies would have seen and it's available to you all either live or watching this later so i will throw it over to team revel all right thank you arlen and as i get this up on the screen start this presentation i just want to say uh, I just want to acknowledge everything that's happening in the country right now. And today is a, um, a powerful, memorable day for a lot of folks, being September 11th. There's also a lot of folks right now dealing with natural disasters all up and down the coast, as well as everybody who's just uh, grappling with, in general, everything that COVID and 2020 has thrown our way, whether it be financial or dealing with your homes or whatnot. So there's, there's so much happening uh, that it feels like it's worth acknowledging that uh, and, and letting you all know that we share this information and we're sharing this presentation in the spirit of helping folks help each other out uh, because that's important and meaningful to us. Uh, and you know, we hope to share that message with you all as well today. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Uh, we know that you all have a lot going on. Okay, I will get this started here. So today's presentation is an update from an earlier presentation we did back in April, and so much has changed since then. Um, so this is our September 2020 update on COVID relief, and in particular, looking at the Paycheck Protection Program uh, and the forgiveness part of that program, which is coming around the corner. So quick background on Revel. Uh, we are, I've been running two CPA practices now for over 15 years. 
Uh, our specialty in particular, and I appreciate all the wonderful words Arlen shared earlier, and the clients that we try to serve are those in creative entertainment tech industries, the kinds of folks who are really great at making or doing a thing, really passionate about it, but maybe um, can use some extra help on the business side of things and some extra explanation, hand-holding, patience, that kind of thing. So uh, that's our focus. And uh, we were built kind of from the beginning, from jump, as a remote experience and one that's very heavily uh, leveraged around technology and integrated systems. Uh, and so that's kind of a part of our DNA and how we do things. We are not this Martin and Gina, as uh, Arlen likes to point out every now and then, we're the second most famous Martin and Gina uh, pair. That's who you've got doing the presentation today. And a little background quickly on Backstage. So Arlen uh, started the firm in 2015, uh, has been a Revel client since 2019, and has raised so far uh, over $12 million for over 140 companies now. So unbelievably impressive effort there. And nearly half a billion being raised and nearly a thousand jobs being created by that portfolio of companies since 2015. And amongst that group, uh, the statistics are that founders are 40% uh, or more black women, 80% or more people of color, right? So amazing. Uh, and this is a Backstage Commission presentation, as, as she mentioned at the top. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we've got so much to pack in here. We're going to try to make the best use of time we can. We're going to start with an overview of the legislation that's happened so far this year. Uh, after that, we're going to jump into a quick, some quick statistics on the programs that we're talking about today, as well as just general business numbers that we think would be helpful for you to know. We're going to touch on an overview of the IDLE program. Uh, an overview of the PPP, and then we're going to spend a good chunk of time talking about what the PPP forgiveness process is like and, and actually walk through an example of that with you in detail so that you feel prepared for that and you know what's coming. And then hopefully save uh, enough time to do a little Q&A at the end. So let's jump right in and we'll talk about uh, an overview of the legislation. Uh, I'm going to do this section and then uh, pass it off to Gina to talk about uh, some of the next bits. So this is, in a way, that this is kind of the timeline of the most significant uh, pieces of legislation that touch business owners that have to do with uh, this disaster we find ourselves in this year. Right? So as you can see, they came fast and furious back in March. Right, three bills passing, getting signed into law within March. We had a follow-up in April and then one in June, and nothing has happened since. Right, so I know this is something that you all recognize and feel right now. There's kind of a lack of what is the next thing to happen, and it's very real. But let's take a quick look at the past, just so that you are aware of the context from where all this stuff came. All right, so starting with March 6th, uh, this was the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. This bill was a baby by comparison, $8.3 billion, but it gave funding to HHS, the SBA, the FDA, and the State Department. And most significantly, this was the moment that COVID-19 was named federal disaster. And that's what opened the doors for a lot of other support and funding along the way. After that, we have March 18th. 
the FFCRA, Families First, Coronavirus Response Act. And this had four major components to it, right? So we had a paid sick leave policy. Uh, we had an emergency family medical leave a policy. We had um, unemployment funds that were kind of boosted to the states. So the federal government supported the state budgets with additional money to help them pay for all the unemployment that they knew was going to be coming. And then the last part of it was testing. So this was the bill that mandated that testing would be free for anybody. Uh, and that's regardless of whether you have insurance, don't have insurance, or Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and you know, we have heard anecdotally that some folks are running into situations where they do have to pay for a test. And I just want you all to know that yes, it's possible if you have ancillary services or you go out of network that maybe there are some other things that you get charged for. But if you're running into a situation where you're being asked to be paid to pay for testing, uh, just just know that maybe that should take a little extra research uh, to try to find a, a way for you to do it for free because you you should be able to. So after that, go to March 27th and the CARES Act, um, and this was the big one, right? Every single square on that grid was a significant part of this legislation. Um, but because we don't have a lot of time to go into them in detail, I'm just going to rip through them here. So we had student loan deferrals. We had charity, charitable contributions move above the line. So they're impactful, even if you don't itemize your deductions this year. We had social security tax deferral for companies. We had changes to the net operating loss carryback rules. So you could carry back losses further and amend older ret returns with your current losses. We had an increase to the net interest deduction limit. We had opening up express bridge loans for existing SBA lendees. We had a freeze, a temporary freeze on evictions, which has been uh, temporarily extended. We had FHA loan forbearance. So for anybody that was in a federally backed mortgage, you have the ability to request a forbearance for up to six months. We had government and industry loans, right? So specifically targeted to uh, government agencies as well as certain industries, notably like the airline industry. And then the next four, which were kind of bigger than those last ones, the fact that you could take up to 100K in retirement draws uh, during this year if you needed that to supplement your income, and then that would be paid back over the next three years. We had the SBA 7A loan payments process, which if you had an existing SBA loan already as a business, meant that you could have up to six months of payments on that loan, not just deferred or in forbearance, but literally paid for you by the SBA, right? So you had that program, we had the unemployment insurance benefits enhanced. That was this extra $600 that you've all heard about that ran out most, uh, most recently. And then we had the, uh, the rebate checks, the, that, that kind of bolster of extra money that was sent out to individuals and couples. And then the last three, the biggest three, as if all that wasn't enough, the last three are the payroll tax credit, which is probably the least used of these three, just because in order to have that take effect for you, you would have had to very, very quickly suffer big losses in your business 
Um, not a lot of businesses qualified in that regard. And also anything you do regarding payroll for this bill, you could not count for the PPP or idle programs. And those ended up being more beneficial to a lot of folks. And then of course you have the paycheck protection program and the, the economic injury disaster loan, which I won't go into detail about because we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, April 24th, we have the Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Expansion Act. So $484 billion in this bill, 100 went to HHS for hospitals and testing, 60 went to uh, bolster the IDLE program, and then the majority of that went to replenish the PPP program and make sure that there's enough funds for those loans. And then June 5th, we have the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act. And this one updated some of the terms for that program. Most importantly, it, it extended the deferral period from six months to 10 months uh, of not needing to make payments. So that was probably the biggest impact of that uh, bill, that most recent bill. Now, I'm just gonna take a quick moment to note, in addition to all this legislation, bills that went through Congress got signed into law. There have also been a bunch of miscellaneous executive orders that have come out uh, during that same time period. Most of them have had to do with uh, allowing use of the National Guard, uh, creating testing facilities in public places, places that kind of thing, um, occasionally sending additional assistance to states. Uh, but there was a more recent, somewhat controversial one that allowed employees right, to uh, not have to have Social Security tax withheld from their pay. Now, it, this was a kind of confusing one because a lot of businesses didn't know whether to follow through with this or not. A lot of payroll providers and some of the largest payroll companies had advised their clients not to, uh, to participate in this. We have generally held the position that if you can get, a, if you cannot do this, um, it's better to leave this one alone, mostly because this will come back to bite those employees pretty hard within the very beginning of next year, between January and April of 2021, all of the suspended taxes would need to be repaid, right? So this is not like they get that money uh, free. Um, they will have to come back and have that taken out of their paychecks at the beginning of next year. So for most folks, if they can get by without doing this, that would be the way to go. Okay, so I will now turn it over to Gina, who's going to help walk us through some of the key uh, program and business statistics. All right, so first we're going to jump into some details about the PPP loan. Um, the last day to apply for that program was August the 8th, and 134 billion of the money that was allocated um, still actually remains in the pot. It was not distributed, um, but out of 5.2 million loans that were um, given out, um, $525 billion was given to business owners to help them stay afloat during this time. Um, just some quick stats about the sizes of each of those loans. So the bulk of those loans were under $50,000. So they were truly to um, small business owners. Um, 
if we break that break that down by size, the biggest chunk of dollars actually went to the middle range where there was um, $113 billion given out um, for loans that ranged in size from, from 350K to $1 million. Um, by industry, um, you'll notice that industries where people were allowed to keep operating or could work from home or remotely um, tended to receive the majority of the loans versus arts and entertainment sector and um, industries like that, which were forced to shut down entirely, didn't really receive a lot of those loans. So you'll see them towards the bottom of this chart. Um, also, this particular loan was limited to companies with 500 or fewer employees. So you'll notice those industries such as utilities, mining, public administration, where they generally have a higher employee count. Most of them weren't eligible for the PPP loan. So you'll also see those industries toward the bottom versus you'll see healthcare, professional services, construction, those businesses stayed in operation and generally had under 500 employees. So they received the bulk of the loans. All right, idle statistics. Just FYI, the idle program is still open and it's actually open through December 21st of this year. If you haven't applied for that or know someone who hasn't applied and would like to still apply, that is open to you. Um, $3.6 million worth of loans were approved through the idle program. There is no um, information as to how many of these loans were actually accepted, um, but they were approved. And that is the same um, with the amount that was actually approved to be loaned. $188 billion was approved to be given out. Um, some businesses accepted, some businesses just took the advance and um, didn't take the loan. Um, let me change my slide because that's a little small for me. <laughs> so just some stats um, in terms of state. You can see here um, how many loans were approved by state, how many dollars were given out. You can see in California, there were $33 billion worth of loans given out. South Carolina, $2 billion. Texas, $16 billion. Um, and these stats are as of August 24th. Um, the National Academy of Sciences actually did a study in the U.S. Um, on who took out loans. 43% or sorry, not loans, but rather um, how businesses were affected by the virus. 43% of businesses had some type of temporary closure or had to reduce their headcount. 39% um, reduced their headcount. Um, and only 25% had more than two months worth of cash on hand to continue operations. So a lot of companies were burning through their resources at this time. Um, there was also a global study conducted by the World Bank um, and more than half of businesses are performing worse at this time um, this year than they were last year. The hospitality industry is still at a 68% reduction in revenues and that industry hasn't received much assistance from the government with only 19% of hospitality businesses receiving assistance. Here we're seeing closure rates by region in this chart. 
Um, the dark green is the first wave of closures, which is through the end of May. And then the green is through June. So we'll notice that there's some reduction in the month of June, um, but you'll notice like in Southeast Asia, there was a huge gap of, there's a huge rate of closures, 46% during the first wave and still up at 28% during the second wave. So up to here in Africa in the 30s um, during both waves. So some countries and regions aren't able to recover as quickly. In North America, 24% closures um, in the first wave and down to 15% now. UC Santa Cruz also conducted a study and they found that the total number of active business owners fell 22% by April, which means that a fifth of small business owners are closing their doors. Um, staggeringly, um, the impact was felt even more so in more vulnerable populations, which 32% um, of Latinx business owners closed their doors. 36% of immigrant owners closed their doors, and 40% of Black-owned businesses closed their doors. So these groups historically have had less access to capital, so a bigger access, a bigger part of why these businesses were hit harder is because um, they don't have the capital to necessarily make it through a rough patch um, or support them through a downturn like other businesses. So it's important that we um, continue to help keep cash flow um, running through these businesses so that they can stay in operation. So we know that some people aren't able to do anything right now because you've been hit yourself. However, we wanna be there to support, support small businesses during this time in whatever way that we can. So if you're able, our overarching message is, do what you can if you can, and let's try to help and support each other through um, this time. There's a lot of loss, devastation, illness. So um, if you're in a position to help, do what you can. Employment statistics. All right, so out of 158 million people working, 25 million of those claimed unemployment well, we're able to successfully claim unemployment. So the real numbers are actually much higher. Um, these are just people who filed and were able to successfully get their claims processed. Now, um, currently where we are in September, it's down to about 10 million people, which is about 9%. Um, but that's still 10 million people in this country that are out of work um, with small businesses closing. And this is not just in our country. This is all across the globe. So in this chart, it shows that, yes, the U.S. had a huge spike in unemployment. Um, and ours is a lot larger than some of the other countries, just simply because um, our response time might have not been as quick um, as some of the other countries. But you'll see in Italy, there was a 2%, almost 3% jump in unemployment. Um, same in France, 2% jump in unemployment. All right, and now we'll jump into where we're at with the EIDL program. Um, so the EIDL granted loans of up to $2 million 
um, two businesses. The loans were 30 year terms, so generous repayment terms and um, low interest rates, 2.75% for nonprofit organizations and 3.75% for four um, profit organizations. Any loans that were above $25,000 did require collateral, um, but they were easy to apply for, apply directly with the SBA, and you could receive up to a $10,000 forgivable advance. So first that $10,000 was simply a pure grant, and then as the legislation rolled out, it changed to $1,000 per employee, up to $10,000. And now at this point, if you do accept that portion of the grant, it is deducted from the forgivable amount of your PPP loans. All right. Um, so there are some other provisions of that idle loan that aren't mentioned until you actually sign the final documents. And if you want to know more about those, we do have a blog post on the Rebel website um, on all the things you're agreeing to when you take this money. Um, there is a 12 month deferral on when you have to make your first payment, but just be aware that interest is accruing from the date you take out the loan. But the SBA will reach out to you when it's time for you to start your payments. Originally, the use of the funds was pretty vague, but now they're being more specific. The loans are to be used for working capital and ordinary and necessary business expenses. So you don't wanna do things like pay off all your credit cards and other loans, like refinancing them with the idle. You don't wanna open a new store or purchase new equipment or pay out dividends and profit shares to the ownership. Um, the SBA really wants you to use these idle funds to get you um, through this disaster and pay your regular bills rather than a loan to fund you know, growth opportunities. Now, if you're taking an owner's salary, you are able to continue paying yourself a regular owner's salary through those funds, just nothing that's out of the ordinary. And actually one last point on the idle, if you've already spent it on something that's not covered, um, the SBA hasn't been too specific about the, what the consequences are um, of those actions, um, but it's just something to be aware of. You are gonna end up paying it back anyway. It's not like the PPP where it's forgivable under some circumstances and not forgivable under another, um, but just be aware um, that we don't know what the SBA is going to do if we spent the money on other items at this point. All right, now to jump into the PPP. We saw a lot more people apply for the Paycheck Protection Program than the IDLE because it was forgivable. <laughs> um, the Paycheck Protection Program granted loans of up to $10 million for a two-year term. Um, so they changed the terms of it. Um, let me see. There was originally an eight week period of time to spend the PPP funds. Then they expanded it to 24 weeks. Um, so then you had six months to spend the PPP funds and still have them forgiven up until December 31st. So let's say if you took out your loan within six weeks of December or within six months of December 31st, you might not get the full six months to spend your funds. So it's whichever date 
comes first. Those loans were for up to two and a half times the average payroll expenses from the prior year. And the interest on those loans accrues from the date of disbursement as well. Payments deferred for 10 months um, or until the SBA forgives your loan. Now these funds can be used to cover any of your payroll costs, wages, commissions, tips, bonuses, employee benefits like your health, your retirement contributions, um, any interest on pre-existing loans prior to the law, prior to the coronavirus outbreak, outbreak could be 100% payroll expenses. 40% um, or less had to be spent on mortgage interest, rent, utilities, and old debt interest in order for the loan to be forgivable. And then another big piece that's not very well publicized is that when you track your owner's compensation in this year and how much of it counts toward payroll, it's limited to 2.5 months of what you paid yourself last year. So let's say you had to let some employees go this year and therefore as the owner, your hours increase in the company. So you gave yourself a raise. Well, you can't just say, oh, well, my new two and a half month salary is covered under the PPP. No, it's still actually based on your last year's salary. Um, so they're basically just trying to cap people off from arbitrarily increasing their owner's comp compensation. But if you're a C-Corp or an S-Corp, you can definitely use your W-2 wages. If you're self-employed, um, then it's actually based on your net earnings from self-employment. And now I will hand it off to Martin. All right. Thank you, Gina. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to jump in now to the PPP forgiveness. Um, so I know this is the part that y'all have a lot of questions about that you're very interested in. So we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Uh, and I'm going to start by just highlighting when folks get to use the easy process the kind of shortened version versus the regular process. And actually, before I even jump into that, I want to point out that there is currently uh, some legislation that's not finished, right? So this is not stuff that's been approved. It has not been made law. This is not real yet. But there, is, um, there are bills being discussed that would make it even easier to do the forgiveness process, you know, virtually a, a check the box or a postcard kind of process um, for loans that are below a certain threshold. Some people are trying to do 150K, some are trying to do 250K, but just know that a lot of that stuff is being talked about right now. And as a result, a lot of banks have not yet reached out to you to try to have this forgiveness process start, even though some of you may be in the process of you know, being through your, your uh, six month window. So I just want to throw that out there that you don't need to jump on this immediately. In general, most lending institutions and banks are waiting to see what happens with Congress to see if that, um, that if the smallest of loans gets uh, automatically forgiven basically. And we're sharing this information with you anyway. Why? Because it's better to be prepared. We want you to know what to do if the process happens. So there's three ways 
and you don't need all of them, it could be any one of these, three ways that you can skip the long form and just do the easy process. The first is to be self-employed with no other employees. Pretty self-explanatory. The second is to have not reduced anybody's hours, not a single employee, and to not have dropped anybody's wages more than 25%. If that's true through this entire year so far, you can just check the box to say that's true and you're done. Or the last one is to have had your operations limited by COVID. So in other words, you're a restaurant that was forced to close, a music venue that was not allowed to operate. You, you in some way were limited by government order, government shutdown mandates, and, and you still did not decrease wages of anybody by more than 25%. If any of those three, three things are true, you can just skip from the regular form, go straight to the easy one, and that's it. Now, how do you submit your application for forgiveness? Where do you do this? Unlike the idle process, which is managed directly with the SBA, the PPP has everything to do with your bank or lending institution. Whoever it was that you applied with, whether it's the bank that you bank with or a separate community lender, that lending agency is going to reach out to you with their specific forgiveness process, right? Uh, we probably could have saved a whole lot of time and had one national forgiveness process developed, but instead we let every single bank and lending institution have to come up with their own. The SBA did create some forms at least, uh, but they're all gonna have to create their own websites to try to collect the information, et cetera. As I said, many of them are going to be waiting. Probably you may have already gotten an email that says, hey, we know the PVP forgiveness thing is happening soon. We're building out our process. Meanwhile, just know we're also having our eyes on Congress, waiting to see if there's automatic forgiveness. And that's why we haven't asked you for anything yet. So if you're uh, concerned, if you just wanna sleep better at night, just go ahead and reach out to your bank or lender and, and make sure that everything is, uh, is, is fine as far as they're concerned. All right, so let's do a walkthrough now. I'm gonna switch gears. We're gonna switch over to the, um, to the PDF and we will walk through this process together with a real world example of how this gets done. All right, because we don't have a ton of time and because this is recorded, I'm gonna move quickly. Uh, so just know that you can always zip back to the recording of this to get more details. Name, address, tax ID number, phone, emails, that's all pretty straightforward. The lender PPP number, this is the loan number as assigned by your bank or credit institution. The SBA PPP number, this is the, the uh, number that's assigned to the loan by the SBA. I've not personally been able to find that. I've been told you should ask your lender what that is and they can get it for you, okay? You should know the date that it was dispersed when it got dropped into your account. You should also know the amount. Um, so. In this case, this loan was for 126,700. The number of employees at the time of the application and the number of employees at the time of this forgiveness application, right? So those are things you should be able to look up in your payroll records. Idle advance amount, right? So this, in this case, this individual, this business got a $10,000 idle advance because they had at least 10 employees. Um, as Gina mentioned, very important. Although the PPP and the idle originally had nothing to do with each other at all. 
Now it has been confirmed by the SBA that yes, if you did get an idle advance, they are going to subtract that from the amount, the final amount of PPP forgiveness, okay? Your idle application number, this you should be able to have from the confirmation screen when you applied. Uh, it should also be on your loan if you actually took out the loan. So you're gonna record that there. The payroll schedule, okay? So you should know what kind of schedule you're on as far as payroll goes. And generally speaking, this is not significant unless you have, uh, unless you're trying to use an alternative payroll period. The covered period, generally speaking, is gonna be the date that you had the loan dispersed. So in this case, April 13th, through six months later, right? So through 24 weeks after that point. Uh, you can choose to use the eight week window that it was originally supposed to be if you want. Most people will not do that. If you, together with your affiliates, are in excess of two million in loans, you have to check this box and we don't know, but it's most likely going to trigger some additional review, okay? Now, instead of going on through the rest of page one, page one is the summary that calculates the amount. I'm actually gonna start from the back the very back, page five, and work my way forward. Before I do that, I just wanna point out, here is the, the easy form. On the easy form, you have essentially the same first page. You have the representations that you'll, we'll see later, and that's it. And this is uh, some demographic information. So there's no additional information. The reason that we're not going to look at that one in detail is there's nothing you would have to do in that form that's not covered here. Okay, so we're just going to look at this one for Majit. So like I said, I'm going to go all the way to page five. All right, here's page five. This is demographic information about status, veteran status, gender, race, ethnicity. You do not have to fill this out. You can if you want to. It does not affect anything about your the forgiveness decision, right? So you can think of that as easily skipped. The Schedule A worksheet, this is where you're actually gonna start the hard work. You will be running payroll reports or go to your payroll provider to have them help you with this. Uh, we utilize a payroll provider called Gusto with a lot of our clients and they have done a fantastic job. I just wanna give them a shout out and some praise for taking on the hard work of, of automating a lot of this and coming up with this information for us in a way that's very helpful. If you don't have that, you're running payroll reports on the covered period, right? So again, this is from the date of disbursement to probably six months later. And you will list every employee in this table one who did not make more than 100K a year annualized, okay? They did not make more than 100K a year annualized in 2019. Sorry, that's important to note. So you're gonna list those employees here. The employee ID number is the last four of their social. You're gonna put the cash compensation they received during the covered period, right? Again, so from the date you got the money to the end of the covered period, put that here. Average FTEs. You have two options for how you calculate FTEs. You can either use a, a formulaic way that the SBA does it, which is very detailed based on the number of hours in a week. That's what this is. Or if you want to opt to, you can do 0.5 for anybody part-time, 1.0 for anybody full-time. That's kind of the simplified route. If you want to do that, go ahead. You just have to consistently do that every part of this process, okay? The salary hourly wage reduction. 
this will generally be zero unless you have reduced somebody's hourly rate or salary more than 25% in the covered period versus the first quarter of the year, okay? So how much did they make hourly in Q1 or on salary in Q1 versus this covered period? There is a detailed step-by-step -step process in the instructions, that's right here, for how to figure that out. But basically, the reduction part here is gonna be how many dollars would they have gotten in the covered period if you paid them what you did in Q1, okay? In this case, this uh, business had no, no such reductions there, so that was a zero. In table two, you have similar things, name, ID number, compensation, FTE. These are just the people who at any pay period in 2019 were paid more than $100,000 uh, annualized, so for any pay period. We have one person that fit that bill here, put their compensation and FTEs there. Now, generally speaking, if you reduced your FTEs, that's going to reduce the forgivable amount of this uh, loan. However, here's how we have uh, a safe harbor reduction, uh, reduction safe harbor number two. We have to say, if we look at our total FTEs from February 15th to April 26th, okay? If we look at our total FTEs during that time, then, and we use that same method that we used up top, what are our, our FTE count during that period? All right, so that's what we have on step one. Step two, we're gonna put the total FTE count for the period that included February 15th, so that specific date, All right? So in this case, on February 15th, it was 22, uh, if I use the same method over here, up on step one, the average during that window was 17, so it went down. From February 15th to April 20th, it went down. All right, so they're saying, if it did go down, on step four, it's saying, what was the total FTE count either on December 31st, at the very end of this year, or today, or right now? And their FTE count right now is 6.2. So this reduction safe harbor is if you started out higher, you dropped in the February to April window, but you have now gone back to that level. In this case, this client did not do that. But if you did, then you will have passed this safe harbor test and you get to not do any kind of FTE reduction percentage. Okay, That's how this one is calculated. So that is page uh, four of this process, the Schedule A worksheet. Now we're gonna bounce back up. I'm gonna look at um, Schedule A. So we're gonna take the cash compensation that came from table one, right? That was the 96K. We're gonna put our FTEs from box two of table one. It was 3.7. If we had any salary reduction, we would put it there. We did not for this client. We're gonna put our cash compensation from table two, okay? And the FTEs from table two. Then we're gonna have those, uh, Gina mentioned those non-payroll, well, they're payroll related, but non-wage items that we can also include. So what was the employer contribution for health insurance? Okay, so you've got that here. What was the employer contribution for retirement plans? That would go on line seven. 
What about state and local taxes assessed on employee compensation? That's a long, confusing thing. Just know that generally speaking, the only thing that will apply in that line is state unemployment tax. So what was that? Okay. Now, compensation to owners. As Gina mentioned, we cannot put anything more on this line than $20,833. That's just the dollar total cap over an eight-week period. But also, we cannot put more than two and a half over 12 months times your 2019 compensation or your 2019 net earnings from self-employment. NESE is just short for net earnings from self-employment. So in this case, it was the full 20,833. Add them all up, we get total payroll costs of 150,756, okay? Here's now figuring out the FTE reduction. Does there need to be an FTE reduction in this case? And so, if there was no reduction in employees or average paid hours at all, you just check that box. That's all you got to do. However, if you did have a reduction, you might still get out of needing to report that reduction. Why? One of two safe harbor ways. Right? We already looked at safe harbor two. That was from the other page. This one down here came from the worksheet. Right. So what was our average uh, during the reference period, 15 FTEs then. But my total average FTEs now was 4.6. So I, in theory, if there was no, if, if this client did not meet Safe Harbor 1, which luckily they do, they would have to reduce the forgivable amount by 29.5%, okay? Because that's how much their FTE count fell during that period, right? If you meet Safe Harbor 2, which again, in this case, they did not, you would check this box and you don't have a reduction. If you meet Safe Harbor 1, which this client does, you check this box and then you do not have a reduction. Safe Harbor 1 is, I was unable to operate between February 15th and the, and the end of my covered period in the same way I did prior because of complying with government directions, shutdown requirements, social distancing, et cetera. I could not run my business in the same way. If you check the box to say that's true, that is it. You now no longer have a FTE reduction quotient to worry about, okay? So that's our schedule A. And then a lot of that information is gonna roll back up to page one. On page two here, I'm just going to say that these certifications, um, please read them, like make sure. This is where you pick up little things like, oh yeah, I can't put more than two and a half months worth of my 2019 compensation. You wanna be able to attest and verify that you did all this. There are some nasty penalties in here for not doing the right thing uh, with these PPP funds. So just take the time to read this. These are all the attestations that are basically saying I did the right thing with this money. And on page one, we take our total payroll cost, which if you recall was 150K and some change. We would put on line two, if we needed to, some mortgage interest payments, some rent payments, some utility payments. Remember, those can amount to up to 40% of the total. In this case, since the client already far surpassed the loan amount with their, just their payroll costs, we skipped in reflecting anything else because it wasn't gonna change anything. Total, uh, 
hourly and salary wage reduction, remember? So how much would they have gotten if you did not reduce their wages more than 25%? In this case, this client had zero. And then down, and then we add that up, add all those lines together, put it on line six, and then FTE reduction quotient is 1.0, right? So 100% basically, if you had no uh, uh, reduction quotient needed. Then we're gonna multiply line six by line seven, that's what we put on line eight, so that stays 150K. We look at our loan amount, which is 126. We take our payroll cost, and divide it by 0.6, right? Don't multiply. Take 150, 756 in this case, divided by 0.6. The number should be bigger than the line on the top. You get 251, 260. And now our forgiveness amount is the smallest of those three numbers, in this case, 126, 700, which was the full amount of the loan. So I was able to successfully report to this client that in their case, they were given full forgiveness for this loan. However, with the big asterisk that 10K of that forgiveness will probably not, uh, will, will remain on as a balance for the loan because they'll, they'll say that you got that money already in the form of the idle advance. Okay, so, whew, that was a lot, that was dense. I hope y'all are still with me uh, or that if you're watching the recording <laughs> that you, take the time to pause and go back and look at this all in detail. But uh, I'm going to switch back really quick to the slides or let's see, we got a quick chat. Okay, um, I'm gonna switch back to the slides so we can finish this up. Um, all right, let's kind of fix this up here. Okay, uh, so we did the walkthrough, we looked at the PDF. I have in the deck here, these are links, live links, so when the recording goes out and the slides go out, this link gives you access to the SBA site that has all of the forms you need, the easy form, the regular form, the instructions in the form itself, so there's all that right there. And then the second link has a really great walkthrough that uh, Gusto did uh, there. Again, that's a payroll provider company. And they also, like we just did here with you, went line by line, step by step through the forgiveness application and gave some really great tips and how to's for completing each of those. So if you, if the video format doesn't work for you and you like a kind of step by step walkthrough, um, this link could be really helpful also. All right. So I'm gonna open it up for some questions now. We've got about 10 minutes left and we will take any questions that we uh, have. You can use the Q&A uh, function to share those. We'll be watching that and, uh, or the chat as well. We'll keep an eye on both of those. And Martin, while, you, while we're waiting for questions, if there are any, um, first of all, I just wanna thank both Gina and Martin for that amazing rundown. Uh, I think a lot of people watching this in the future and now would have saved a lot of time, energy, money. Um, and also wanted to give a shout out to Gusto. We use Gusto for, two, I use Gusto for two different companies and they're, they've just been amazing and uh, did a, uh, a joint venture kind of um, 
uh, converse, uh, article with them in Fast Company uh, a few weeks ago about PPP. So check that out. Um, one question we have is, when is loan forgiveness due, in case uh, you missed that the first time? Yeah, yeah, really good question. So uh, on the back end, right, at, at the end of it, it would be due at least 10 months after the end. The, the, so the longest point would be 10 months after the end of your period, your covered period, which would be six months after you got the money. Right. So in other words, 16 would be the total 16 months after you got the money. However, uh, a lot of banks and lending institutions will be encouraging you to not wait until the very last minute. They'll also be reaching out to you to make sure you know, right? So this is something that you should get contacted by the bank, by the lending institution to let you know that it's time now to submit your forgiveness app. Uh, and also we mentioned earlier that a lot of them are waiting right now because there's some pending legislation not done yet, but in the works that might provide an even faster forgiveness, possibly even automatic forgiveness for loans below a certain threshold. So we're waiting to see what happens with that. Uh, but if you have, if you're curious in any way, you just want to know just to be more comfortable, sleep better at night, just go ahead and reach out to whoever wrote the loan for you, whoever you applied through your bank uh, or community lending institution, um, they, they're the ones that are holding this process. And uh, the person responded, great, so there's plenty of time, thank you. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Martin and Gina, what do you think the, the, um, the possibility is that we, there's another tranche of capital that comes through? I know they've been arguing about it um, in Washington for a while now, but what do you think that that is, that it comes through, that something else comes through? Uh, I'll share my thoughts and then we'll let Gina share too. So if, if we had not let the $600 unemployment bump go without anything to follow it, I would have said, we've been, following up every time, right? As soon as money runs out, we've, there's been a new bill put in because they realize it's too important to not let it expire without something replacing it. In this case now though, I'm seeing something different where we are, we are kind of letting, but there are political movements happening where folks are willing to let, uh, people go without help in order to stand firm in their position about what they think should or shouldn't be in this bill, uh, which was something I didn't think would happen, but seems like it's now, now the, the, the way that it's working out. So I know folks are pushing and fighting very hard to make some of these new bills uh, happen and take hold, but it's, it doesn't seem like a guarantee anymore. Thank you. And did, Gina. Gina, did you have an opinion? No, I stay out of politics. <laughs> well, I don't, this is not political. This is from your, uh, you know, just wondering if we think that just in general, we might get another uh, help. It was very helpful, you know, to backstage. We got, we got PPP. Uh, we talked a lot about that early on. 
And um, it, hopefully, you know, I think we're going to be going through this for COVID for another few months at least. So hopefully there will be something we can get our act together in some way. And, and I know you all have to be apolitical, but I can be not. <laughs> hopefully we need to get our, our, our stuff together. Um, yeah. And then I, I think the last thing I uh, wanted to know from either of you is just with we have a minute or two left. Someone, let's say you, I mean, you're watching this because you had, you got PPP most likely, right? And you now are <clears throat> looking into the, the forgiveness. You don't want to miss anything. You don't want to get penalized. You don't want to get it wrong. Maybe you are talking to your bank, your financial institution or your lender, and maybe you aren't, but either way, just in general, in the ecosystem, what should people be looking out for as a red flag when it comes to people CPAs to 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 accountants like should people be charged to if they have if they haven't already engaged with a CPA if somebody reaches out to them and says hey I give me uh, this amount of money and I'll help you with your forgiveness is that something that's happening and should people be uh, wary of that um, I'll just say for the way that we run our practice um, we, we have made a choice to help our clients, our existing clients through a lot of what's happened this year, whether it be taking on extra meetings, extra calls, helping them with idle applications, PVP application. We're gonna help all of our clients through their, their forgiveness apps as well. Um, but that's, that's been a choice and that's just because um, we feel like this has been, it's been a hell of a year for everybody and anything that we can do to step up and help and be a community with our client. Like to me, our community, our clients are, um, are everything and we want to, we want to share and support with them. I will say it's absolutely happening and I wouldn't think anything of it if a, a client, if you were reaching out to a new accountant, let's say, or even your existing accountant, and they did want to charge you for this work, I feel like uh, it's happening. It's pretty prevalent. Um, and I feel like we, we would also, if this was a new relationship with somebody, right? Mm -hmm. But for our existing clientele, that's something that we, we haven't been doing. Yeah. So it's okay if your current uh, accounting group is, is talking to you about uh, one-off payments and things like mm -hmm. that. But if someone reaches out to you kind of in a predatory way, just kind of keep an eye out, try to uh, vet them and see if that's something you should be paying for. The best way I think to, at, to find out is to ask the lending institution um, what their opinion is, if, if they're willing to, to give you that information. Um, thank you so much. This has been so, so helpful. And you just did such a deep dive on this. I think uh, people will be watching this video and listening to this audio for, for months to come. And I just wanted to uh, tell you that we appreciate that. Uh, check out backstagecapital.com uh, and, and let us know the um, website for Revel, please. It's revelcpa.com. Revelcpa.com? Yep, that's right. Thank you too, Arlen, for, for putting this together. Glad to do it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks everybody for joining and for watching later. We're going to end it now and I'll see you next time.